When Percy Jackson was given his quest to find and return Zeus's Master Bowl, there was no shortage of obstacles to overcome along the way. And by obstacles, I mostly mean monsters who wanted to kill him. There were the Furies, goddesses of revenge, who ambushed him on a bus. Then at the St. Louis Arch, he met Echidna, the Serpent Woman, and the Chimera, the lion-goat-snake hybrid that she gave birth to. And at one point, he even comes face to face with Hades himself and his army of undead warriors. But there was one mythological monstrosity that stood out to me more than the others I mentioned. One that I had never heard of before reading Percy Jackson, and whose crimes against mortals are so gruesome, so evil, that his victims may have mistaken his home for Tartarus itself. This monster's name was Krusty, and he was a waterbed salesman. Okay, that probably didn't have the shock value that I was building up toward, but trust me when I say this man was a menace. Because Krusty, the waterbed salesman, was inspired by Procrustes, a demigod who, in real mythology, would offer hospitality to weary travelers. But that hospitality came with a horrifying twist. What is going on, mere mortals? My name is John Solo, and before we dive into the gut-wrenching atrocities that occurred in Procrustes' bed, I want to give you his backstory. Because the more I looked into his mythology, the more I appreciated the cleverness of Rick Riordan, the author of the Percy Jackson series, who found a clever way to place Procrustes in a modern setting. Now, for those who haven't read the Lightning Thief book, or don't remember the details, the only reason that Percy and Krusty meet is that Percy and his friends duck into his waterbed store to hide from the juvenile gang of street rats that was chasing them through Los Angeles. And similar to how that encounter with Krusty is just a detour on Percy's main quest of returning Zeus's Master Bolt to prove his father Zeus's innocence, in Greco-Roman mythology, the legendary hero Theseus runs into Procrustes in the process of returning his father's belongings. It already gets a little confusing here because like Percy, Theseus's father was Poseidon, but unlike Percy, he had a mortal father as well. His name was Aegeus, and he was the king of Athens. Theseus appears to have inherited the best qualities from both of his fathers, who slept with his mother Aethra on the same day. Now, while Aethra was pregnant with Theseus, Aegeus was forced to leave her in her homeland while he returned to Athens to tend to his kingly duties. But before leaving, he buried his sword and sandals under a boulder and declared that if his son was a true hero, he would return these tokens to him when he was of age. So over the next several years, Theseus was raised by his mother and grandfather Pythias, growing into a courageous young man and skilled warrior. He's not exactly a justice-driven, selfless hero who goes out of his way to help those in need, but he loved the adoration he received from his community for his accomplishments. So if a task were presented to him as a challenge, he wouldn't back down from it, even if the odds were stacked against him. At a certain point, Theseus's mother decides that he's finally old enough to know the truth about his father, and not the divine one. That cat had already been let out of the bag by her father, Pythias, who needed a way to explain to the neighborhood where his grandson had come from without implicating the king. So she tells Theseus the story about King Aegeus, the tokens that were left behind, and informs him that if he wants to claim the throne that's his by birthright, he'll have to travel to Athens and return his father's possessions. As you might expect, Theseus was more than ready to take this challenge on and show the world what he's made of. So using a fraction of his strength, he pushed the heavy boulder out 
of the way, picked up the sword and sandals, and set out on his journey. Only much to his mother and grandfather's horror, he had willingly chosen the most dangerous route to get there. See, before Theseus left, he was told that he could easily reach Athens by sea and his journey would be a short and safe one. However, if he took the long way around the gulf, he would have to worry about bandits, murderers, and also have to pass by six underworld entrances where even deadlier Chthonic characters awaited. Well, Theseus felt that if the purpose of his quest was to prove to his father that he's a real hero, then it wouldn't make sense to choose the safe route. Plus, he had the stories about his older cousin Heracles in mind and wanted to follow in his footsteps by cleansing the world of these wicked men preferably while making them suffer through the same misery they dealt out to their innocent victims. So, shrugging off the concerns of the people who loved him most, Theseus left for Athens from his homeland of Trozen, stopping at every one of the six underworld entrances he came across to deal with the dangers that awaited there. At some point, I'm gonna make a dedicated video on those because some of them are pretty hysterical, like the guy who would trick travelers into helping him bend a pine tree back only so he could let go at the last possible second and fling them into the blood-splattered cliffside. But today, our focus is on young Theseus's final labor, Procrustes. Do you remember how in Percy Jackson, Krusty's waterbed palace was only a block or so away from the entrance to the underworld? Well, in the original mythology, his home was right outside an underworld entrance as well, which had to be pretty convenient for Hermes considering how many souls he had to escort from there to the afterlife. The legend goes that Procrustes would spend his days sitting outside his home waiting for gullible travelers to cross his path. Then, feigning generosity, he would offer them a place to stay for the night so they could begin the next leg of their journey with a fresh start. Only those who accepted his offer wouldn't live long to regret it. Because Procrustes had two guest beds, a short one which he would offer to his tall visitors and an exceedingly long one that he would give to his short visitors. I didn't mix those up by the way. He intentionally gave his guests the bed that would fit them the worst. And if you're wondering why that is, you better brace yourself for what you're about to hear. When Procrustes visitors came into his home, he was a five-star host. I mean, this dude could teach Martha Stewart a thing or two. If he wasn't such a psycho, he would probably have the highest rated Airbnb of all time. He would have food ready to be served, all the wine his guests could want, they would play music and games, and a lot of the time they would lose themselves in the merrymaking and end up passing out in whatever bed Procrustes threw them in. It was when they were safely unconscious and limp as a wet noodle that Procrustes would start the next phase of his plan. If his visitor was too short for their bed, he would tie anvils, those heavy metal blocks that blacksmiths hammer swords against, to each of their limbs and stretch them across the canvas, causing their bones to snap and their muscles to tear until ultimately they lost their minds to the pain and their bodies were ripped completely in half. I guess you could say the tall victims were the lucky ones. Instead of a long and painful death, it was short and excruciating. Procrustes would center the sleeper in the middle of the bed, then would bring down his axe on whatever bits were hanging off, starting with their feet. That first swing of the axe would always wake the victims up, which made his next swing a bit more exciting. Procrustes would slowly drag his axe to the head of the bed, and while his victim was begging for mercy, he would chop off the top part as well. It's hard to say how long Procrustes' Hotel of Horrors was in business, but we can be certain that Theseus shut it down for good. According to the Greek poet Plutarch, who wrote a work called The Life of Theseus, 
the hero was able to fool Procrustes into lying on the bed himself and then fastened him to it. We sadly aren't told which of the beds he was fastened to, but my heart wants to believe it was a creative mix of both. Maybe Theseus stretched him out for as long as possible before taking off his head with the axe. If that were the case, it wouldn't be too far off from what happens to him in The Lightning Thief. Percy also manages to trick Procrustes into lying on his bed, then chops his head off with his sword, Riptide. And do you wanna hear something else wild? In the original mythos, Procrustes was also the son of Poseidon. I don't think that carries over to the Percy Jackson universe, but if it did, it would mean that both versions of Procrustes were killed by his half-brothers. Interfamily murder or incest? Every Greek myth has to have at least one of them, or in this case, both. Remember that guy I mentioned earlier who used pine trees to launch people? Of course you do. How could you ever forget that? Well, that guy's name was Sinus, and he was Procrustes' son, making him Theseus's half-nephew. He was also the second of Theseus's labors, and after Theseus took him out by launching him into the cliffside, the hero seduced his daughter and got her pregnant. In other words, Theseus had a baby with his grandniece. It may not be quite as close a relation as, say, Zeus and Hera, but that's still some nasty jazz. No, 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 nasty, nasty jazz. But that, mere mortals, was the messed up mythology that inspired one of Percy Jackson's many, many enemies. Was it as horrible as you were expecting? And should I cover more creatures and characters from the Percy Jackson series? Let me know by hitting us up at Messed Up Origins on Twitter and Instagram, and make sure you sacrifice that five star button to the algorithm gods if you haven't already. Let me know by hitting us up at Messed Up Origins on Twitter and Instagram, and make sure you sacrifice that five star button to the algorithm gods if you haven't already. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast because it's totally free and always will be. Also, we upload three times a week. Remastered episodes on Monday and Wednesday and all new episodes like this one on Fridays. And if you're craving more messed up origins, you can always check out my YouTube channel called John Solo to experience the original episodes complete with visual aids and custom made artwork. Until next time, everybody, my name is John Solo and don't forget, John shot first.